Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. So those of you guys who don't know Pastor Jeff, he pastors our sister church here in Southeast Sacramento where Emily and I used to live, um, Tahoe Park area. Um, how long has First Church been there, you think? Oh my goodness, we're over 110 years old. Praise the Lord. So, uh, 19, yeah, this is about... 1914. And foundation's about the same. 108. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So these are, we've been sister churches for over a century. Mm-hmm. You and I are, we are older than we look. Um, so, anyway, uh, First Church in Sacramento graciously is sending their preacher today, because if you're new, I'm on chemo, which is just awesome. Chemo's, chemo's the best. Oh, my gosh. I heard some of you went to Italy. Some of you went to South Dakota. I went to the doctor's office. It was great. So, um, yeah, don't recommend it, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, thank you to those of you, by the way, a number of godly men and women have stepped up throughout the fall season to come here and bring us the word of God. Pastor Jeff, even though he's got a lot of preaching responsibilities in his church, he signed up for a slot as well, and I'm excited yeah, to have yeah, you here honor. very much. So, um, can I pray for you? Yes, thank you, Pastor Jesus, Jerry. the same thing we want every single week. We know that the preacher is a broken vessel, That's but right. your word is not broken. That's it is right. beautiful. It is powerful. It can cut between the soul and spirit. Uh, and we do ask you, Lord, for the humility to hear. Yes, God, God if you don't do a work in our heart, we're not going to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm. So please do it. Mm. We, do, uh, we ask this for the glory of your name, that your people would look more like you by the end of this sermon. That those of us who don't know you yet, we would see your face for the first time and worship for the first time. And we ask this in Jesus' great name. Would you guys give a foundation welcome to Pastor Jeff Mugford? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Greg. It's an honor to be here uh, with you this morning. Um, I always, um, even just when I have casual conversations with Pastor Greg, I learn something. Yeah, when you think it's just going to be a, hey, we're just going to, you know, shoot the breeze. (laughs) Pastor Greg always will encourage, challenge, you know, stir things up a little bit, and uh, and I love that. Uh, When I first moved back to Sacramento, I I was born and raised here and born and raised in the church that I'm now pastoring, preaching to the very people that first taught me about Jesus. That's humbling. Uh, and at certain times when, when they'll come up to me and actually say, hey, I learned something today. I'm like, really? <laughs> you taught me everything uh, that I know, um, but it's an honor uh, to be here. I want you to know that your sister church, uh, First Church in, in South Sacramento, we, we are intensely praying for your pastor and his family. We are praying for continued and complete healing. Uh, we do that often in our services. We do that in our small groups, in our small Bible study gatherings. Um, we know that uh, God isn't finished with your pastor yet because uh, we know he's got a long way to go, right? But it is uh, a joy to stand before you today. Quickly pray with me. God, this morning... May your word shine forth. May you get me out of the way so that your Holy Spirit can speak. Amen. Storms always make headlines, don't they? In the past couple of weeks, we've, we've seen these fierce 
and fearsome storms take place and rock certain areas of our country. My other job, I'm bivocational, so my other job, I travel for a utility-scale solar power company, and I go to the places where we're building these large solar power farms, power plants, if you will, and I find great nonprofits so that I can give the companies money away to uh, great nonprofits. And uh, next week I'll be uh, going to Puerto Rico, who that recently endured Hurricane Fiona, um, and also. A couple weeks after that, uh, Hurricane Ian hit uh, the Gulf Coast of Florida. And it's interesting because in those two different storms, we already see that Florida is beginning to recover, right? I mean, there's still great heartache there. In fact, our company is going there. We are supporting uh, different uh, relief organizations there. Puerto Rico just takes a lot of time. In fact, in speaking with some of the folks there that I'll be working with next week, they said, we're not over Hurricane Maria yet that hit three years ago. Uh, and so there's great need there. But storms always get our attention, don't they? If they are you know, weather-related or sometimes if they are, are storms that hit our life. They demand our attention, don't they? Over the past two and a half years uh, with, with covid you know, that has been a huge storm in all of our lives, has it not? Uh, probably most of you here have come down with it. Any, anybody been spared yet? Raise your, okay, wow, okay. It didn't hit Citrus Heights, right? Just South Sacramento. Um, but storms grab our attention. They elicit a response from us, a common response often. One of our, our default responses when we encounter a stormy stretch in our life is, why me? Why now? Why this particular storm? Why was my house destroyed? And in a sense, every day, every season, is hurricane season or fire season in our life. Every one of us has the potential and possibility of going through some spiritual, atmospheric disturbances. And when we go through these difficulties, our response is critical. And today I want us to look at five principles that will help us to make sense of the storm. It won't necessarily you know, help us avoid the storms because storms are going to happen. And in your worship folder, there's a, a, a note sheet. I don't know if you guys do that here, but we do that at, at First Church. I like to, to teach and preach that way. But we're gonna be taking a look at a story that most of you are familiar with because storms are often mentioned in the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, we're going to be looking at this story. And I think, yeah, it'll be up on the screens. I don't know what uh, translation you guys like to use here. I'll use the New Living Translation. But I'd like for you to read along with me as we look at this story of a storm that pops up in the life 
of the disciples. Immediately after this, after the feeding of the 5,000, that's the story that immediately precedes this, Jesus insisted, I like that word, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. I think as we look at this story, the first thing that I want to draw out of this story is this. It's important if we are going to survive the storms in our life that we do what the Lord tells us to do. Do what the Lord tells us to do. You know, we pick up this story just after the feeding of the 5,000. They were on a spiritual high. They had to have been. They had just seen this tremendous miracle just a few loaves of bread and, and fish that were brought forth. And then just after this event, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. The implication at the beginning is that he will meet them on the, on the other side, but they're not sure about that. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that Jesus insisted that you do something? I mean, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I have, you know, heard the still small voice or the, you know, the knock, and, and I immediately, my, my default reaction is usually to start making excuses. I can't do that. Not right now. I'm, I'm not ready for that assignment. Do you ever find yourself in that situation? And you know, we, we fight and we squirm, and eventually we have to get back to this response of obedience to do what the Lord has told us to do. And that's what the disciples did. They get back into the boat as Jesus had insisted. Now, you know, just even that, we don't know how Jesus insisted. We don't know if it was, you know, his tone of voice, you know. There were those moments when our parents would insist that we go to bed, right? Uh, and, you know, it wasn't just, hey, I insist that you do that. It was usually there was some other, you know, means of communication, right, where we, where we got the message that they were insisting us to do something, or a boss, insisting us to do something. And I want you to know that in this moment, when they were on their way 
and they ran into this storm. The storm arose. They were doing exactly what the Lord had told them to do. We seem to think that when storms arise in our life, what did I do? I must have done something. I must not have prayed enough. I must not have had enough faith, right? Those are some of the things that we we begin to think when a storm arises in our life. But I want you to know this morning that they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, exactly what Jesus had insisted them to do. And the storm arose. Many of us, we, we associate difficulties with disobedience, don't we? We don't always say it, but we live as if being a Christian gives us some kind of a detour around difficulties. Now, I should add here that disobedience can put you in a storm too. (laughs) I have endured a few storms in my life that I have brought on myself (laughs) through my own disobedience. Anybody else here, or is that just me? Me and the usher. That's the only one that would raise his hand. But this verse implies that you can do exactly what God wants you to do, be exactly where God wants you to be, and still find yourself in a storm. There used to be something that we would say, you know, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. You've heard that, right? And there's some truth to that, but I want to tell you that sometimes the most dangerous place that you will find yourself is in the center of God's will. (laughs) I know we don't want to hear that. We want to hear that Jesus keeps us safe. You know, like the old hymn said, safe and secure from all alarms. You've sung that here, haven't you? It's an old Church of God hymn. And I sung it too. And then later when these storms arose, I would remember that hip safe and secure from all alarm. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. So either the Bible or the hymns are right, you know, sometimes. I'll go with the Bible. Verse 24 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, what did mom used to say? Nothing good happens at three o'clock in the morning, right? Oh, so you've said it, okay. Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. In the midst of the storm, Jesus came toward them but they didn't recognize him. They thought he was a ghost and they were, they were terrified. Why were they afraid? Why were they afraid in this moment? Remember, they had just, oh, they had lots of experience with Jesus, but just earlier in the day, Jesus had fed the 5,000. They had seen this miracle with the loaves and the fishes. Well, they had never seen someone walk on water before. Now, Jewish traditions were that whenever there was a storm raging on the sea, it 
indicated that the, the devils and his demons were upset and mad. It was seen to be some sort of demonic activity, and that's what was stirring up the waters. It was like this supernatural exercising itself through nature. But this first point is so important if we're going to understand this story. The disciples did exactly what the Lord was telling them to do. Secondly, I think it's important if we're going to understand this story that, and if we're going to survive our storms, that we don't get so focused on the storm that we lose sight of Jesus. Some of us get so caught up in the storm, the storms that rage around us, and Times are confusing when we're in the middle of a storm. Waves are crashing against our boat. The wind is, we can't quite hear because the wind, and it's confusing. It's a confusing time and we can easily lose sight of Jesus. We don't recognize when God is trying to come to us. Did you notice that? What I just read to you? Jesus came to them. He comes to us. Whatever storm you find yourself in this morning, Jesus comes to you. In the midst of that storm. Sometimes God brings storms in our lives in order to speak to us in such a way that we'll hear him when we don't hear him in the calm. You know, when things are going well and you got it going on, you know, during those times, God has to set an appointment with you, <laughs> right? But when the storms are raging, you're down on your knees. Storms get our attention like nothing else. Sitting out on the church patio of the church that we were pastoring in Phoenix, Arizona, that we were pastoring for 17 years. It's a warm summer evening. In fact, every evening in Phoenix is warm. <laughs> it could have been a warm winter evening. And I was sitting out on our back patio, the doors were open, and our youth were leading worship. One of our students was getting ready to teach. These were students that I had poured my life into in 17 years of youth ministry. And gazing into the night sky, there was this moment where I'm looking at the stars, I'm listening to our students lead worship and one of our students teaching the word. And I remember thinking, it can't get any better than this. This is amazing. And then the very next moment, and I've, I don't say this lightly, because there's only been about two or three times when I've heard that still, small voice. But I remember hearing that still, small voice, getting this impression, that moment where I knew it was the Lord. And the impression was this. Everything is about to be turned upside down in your life. So hang on. Within the year, we would leave that place after a tumultuous time in our church. 
and everything turned upside down. And I was in desperation. Before that time, oh, I prayed. I can remember praying, but they weren't quite as focused and intense as when I found myself in this place of desperation. Sometimes God has to get us to those places. I know you don't want to hear that. I don't want to preach it. But we need to hear it. And I think this story teaches us that. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. You know, Jesus spent you know, half of his, the words, I think, in the New Testament telling us not to be afraid. Have you noticed that? Take courage. I am here. And when they heard him say, I am here, this had to have been one of the most comforting phrases that a Jewish person could hear. I am. Echoes of the I am that I am. When God gave his name to Moses at Mount Sinai, Yahweh, I am, tell them that I am. And so, do you think it was an accident that in this stormy moment that Jesus said, I am here? <laughs> I think the disciples heard it. Of course, the problem with the children of Israel was not a lack of understanding of what God could do. I don't think the disciples in this moment necessarily thought that God couldn't do amazing things. Historically, they had seen it already. Their problem was they had forgotten who God was. Remember, they had been in slavery for 400 years. The patriarchs were dead. And God said, tell them, I am. Because if we know, if they know who I am, they'll know what I can do. Let's say you want to start a basketball team. Several people show up. One looks a little tall. Hey, maybe he can play a little bit. One you see can dribble a little bit, but you're not sure. But then LeBron James walks in the room. Nobody asks if he can shoot or dribble or dunk. Why? We know who he is, so we know what he can do. The disciples had forgotten who God is. When Jesus walks out to the disciples in the midst of the storm, he says, I am has got you. I am is in your midst. Whatever you are going through this morning, I am is there. I am is here. Whether it's financial, family, health, personal, or corporate. Whatever you are facing, God is saying, don't worry about what I can do. Just know who I am. Verse 28 and 29. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, 
Jesus said. Now it's about to get interesting, right? Peter, being his bold, brash self, gets out of the boat and starts walking towards Jesus. Crazy Peter, principle number three. And I get this from a pastor in the Bay Area, John Ortberg. He wrote a book called this. You won't do anything great for God if you won't get out of the boat. You gotta be willing to leave the boat people behind. People that don't want to do anything great. I've never seen it done like that before. Uh, we don't do that around here. That can't be done. I wanna brag on my brother here for, and when I prepared this, I didn't know my brother was gonna be here. My brother, you know, is a regional pastor. He's preached for you before, you know, and he also attends my church. So he's a regional pastor, so he's my boss, so he can fire me, but I'm his pastor, so I can disfellowship him. So there's, we have this great relationship right now. You wanna take communion, brother? Okay, no, I'm kidding. But I wanna brag on my brother for just a moment. Because he came here to be our regional pastor after 32 years at one church. Who does that? You know, I mean, I was at one church for 17 years, you know, and it's like, I think I wore out my welcome. <laughs> you know, my brother never wore out his welcome after 32 years. They wanted him to stay. They didn't want him to go, you know? The easiest thing for him to do would have just, to be, to just stay put in Eugene, Oregon, the safe little cocoon that he and his wife had, had nurtured there. Beautiful church. Oh no, in his mid-60s, he decides to come be our regional pastor. Sometimes you just have to get out of the boat, people. You have to do something that no one would think that you were gonna do. You may be in the safest place, the most secure place that you have ever been in your life, and Jesus starts to say, why don't you get, come. Jesus says to Peter, yeah, come. But we'll always find people around us, folks who are petty, backbiting, gossiping, boat people. <laughs> Don't let boat people turn you around or turn you away or get in your way. We'll never be what God wants us to be individually or corporately as a church until we make up our minds to get out of the boat, to take some risks, to do something different, to do it a way that it's never been done before. Boat people will challenge your passion and your vision. The boat represents oftentimes the survival of me. The boat represents the flesh the only person that could have stopped Peter from getting out of that boat was Peter. Now let me ask you, what are you willing to do to live for the glory of God? I loved this morning during prayer time when Pastor Greg had said, let's pray dangerous prayers. Who are you willing to leave behind in the boat in order to do it? The Bible says that Peter stepped out and began walking towards Jesus. Sometimes you must be, no one else went with him. Sometimes you have to be willing to walk alone. I'm sure that as Peter put one foot outside of the boat, 
someone yelled, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? There's monsters out there and a ghost. There's a ghost. But he went anyway. Sometimes the voices are in our head, right? But then once we are out of the boat, number four, in a storm, God will reveal to us that we're not everything that we think we are. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. Help. (laughs) And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter did something great, but then he took his eyes off what God was doing and focused on his circumstances and he began to sink. That phrase, Lord save me, is in the extreme passive voice in the original language, which implies that he had tried to save himself, but he could not. It implies that he was flailing about, trying to swim back to shore. It wasn't just this immediate thing. It wasn't like, that's the first thing I'm gonna do. And we do that too, don't we? The longer that we're saved, we, we be, I'll try this. Or this. I've done this before in the past and it's helped me through these storms until finally we have to come to the place where we say, Lord, save me, help. I can't swim to shore. The waves are too high. We have a tendency to think, you and I, we have a tendency to think that we are better than we actually are. We begin to do what Paul told us not to do. Don't think more highly of yourself than you are. Don't think you are better than you really are. That always gets us into trouble, doesn't it? When we begin to think, I'm better than, I'm better than this. I can do this. Sometimes we achieve some earthly level of proficiency in a particular skill or occupation or subject. So, so we, can, we think we can handle life. Peter cries out, Lord, I've tried to save myself. I'm unable to handle the currents and the waves that are coming at me. I realize now that I need somebody to help me who has more strength than I have, someone who can intervene on my behalf. But he didn't have time to say all that. So he just said, Lord, save me. Help, Lord, I'm sinking. That had to be kind of an embarrassment for a professional fisherman, don't you think? (laughs) To admit that, the storm will put you in a position where you will stop taking yourself so seriously and you'll stop taking God so lightly and you'll cry out for help. And then finally, to the good news. Number five, God will save us in the midst of our storms. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, why did you doubt me? 
And when they get back in the boat, the wind stopped. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you really are the Son of God. Jesus was saying, you've already done the hardest thing. You'd gotten out of the boat. You were walking on water. Why did you doubt at that point? Often we get in the middle of something that took a lot of faith to begin. But then the storm comes and we start to doubt. We start to doubt that God really loves us. We start to doubt that he is for us. We start to doubt that God knows what he's doing. Verse 32, and when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. We want God to stop the storm and then save us. We think storm stoppage is a requirement for God to move. How did they get back into the boat? I don't know, the Bible doesn't say and I don't care because the same God who gives you directions that leads you into the storm is the same God who meets you in the storm. He's the same God who will deliver you out of the storm. He's the same God who will walk you through the storm. He's the same God that will guide you safely back into the boat even though the storm still rages. And then they worshiped. We don't see God like we need to see him until we go through some storms. When you go through storms in life, God will give you a picture of who he is and your life will never be the same. You'll have a new vision of who God is as he takes you and walks you through the storm. As I was preparing for this message to give to you this morning, all week long, the these words of an old Andre Crouch song. Do you remember Andre Crouch? These just kept ringing in my ear. I've had many tears and sorrows, he wrote. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong, but in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials, my storms, come only to make me strong. Do you know the chorus? Through it all. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. I've learned to depend upon his word. You don't learn those things in the calm. I wish we could. We'd all rather stay in a place of calmness, wouldn't we? We learn to trust in Jesus to trust in God, to depend upon his word in the storm. Andre went on, I thank God for the mountains and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, what? I'd never know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. So through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you 
<laughs> we thank you for the storms in life even, oh God. Because it's in those moments that most of us in this room can reflect upon our own storms that we've encountered. Even when we've been obedient to you. And it's in those moments when we have learned to trust you. Where we've We've learned to depend upon your word. And so we can say confidently and triumphantly this morning, thank you for those storms. Amen.